Hey there, stylish ThoughtBot podcast listener. We're back with another ThoughtBot swag sale. For the rest of the year, you can show your support for our podcast with shirts, pint glasses, and even limited edition socks. We have two new designs specifically for giant robots and bike shed t-shirts that have only before been available at conferences. For the production and shipping, we are proud to once again be partnering with Social Imprints, who provide career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And today we're doing something a little bit different in that the tables were turned on me and I sat down at an event we ran in London with Alan Wick, an entrepreneur, a business owner, and now business owner coach. And he interviewed me and asked me some questions about uh, what we do at ThoughtBot and how we approach things. So, Alan, thank you for the questions, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. In terms of an introduction to the approach for this discussion, the theme that I'm choosing is one of learning. And if I can borrow from a phrase that uh, the late Steve Jobs used, which was, stay hungry, stay foolish, I'm going to adapt that slightly because as a business coach, I look very much at clients learning as they go. It's similar to the retrospective sort of approach, agile approach of try something, learn from it and adapt and then move forward. So I want to adapt it to stay hungry, stay learning. And after all, experience is a bit of a euphemism for making mistakes. And one of the things I want to do is when I'm chatting it with Chad and going through the questions that I've got, is that for each of Chad's experiences and listening to the ThoughtBot story, I'm sure there'll be valuable learnings from each of those stages and each of those questions. So that's the theme I'm going to go back to each time. So to kick off, Chad, can you briefly tell us the story of how ThoughtBot got started? Yeah, I graduated from university in 2002, and that meant I went into university in 1998, the height of the dot-com bubble in the U.S. and elsewhere, and graduated after the bubble had burst and after September 11th. So we had the single largest drop in the Dow Jones Industrial Average in one day. And so we went into school thinking, no problem finding a job. I had done website design and development before going to university, so... When we came out, it was a very different story. And me and my peer group, we all had a pretty good trouble finding our first jobs. And I was the first person in my group to find a job. And it was at a medical billing startup. Uh, you don't really have those here, thank, thank goodness. Uh, and we were writing software to help doctors uh, get paid. And it didn't take very long for that environment to turn into Uh, what it actually was, which was a very toxic environment. And unfortunately, the founder, uh, and we had all signed on to work really hard for low pay, wasn't what he he seemed. Unfortunately, he had a medical condition himself that caused, he had a personality disorder. Mm. And so everything wasn't what it seemed. And looking back, that was a good metaphor for sort of (laughs) a lot of startup companies in general, you're working very hard killing yourself over something that ultimately is imaginary. 
And so after things fell apart uh, there, we enjoyed working with each other and we were all burnt out. Um, we had gone several months without being paid. And um, I fell back on what was comfortable in that time of really sort of not knowing what to do. And that was what I had done before, which was working with small businesses to build web apps. And what we decided, we called ourselves full service IT consulting. And what that really meant was we really just needed to do anything anyone would pay us to do with computers. Mm. And so we uh, strung network cables and we sold computers, gave tech support. We had a phone line and people would call it and I would help them with Microsoft Word and that kind of thing. And in 2005, we had the first big turning point of the company and that was after being around for two years and being quite mediocre doing absolutely everything um, in every technology, in every kind of company. Three of the original founders decided that they had, were ready to just go get normal jobs. And that's when ThoughtBot really became ThoughtBot that we know today, because faced with the choice of just going and getting a normal job or making the intentional choice to stick with it, that was when we started to say, this isn't worth doing if we're not fulfilled in our work and successful. And lo and behold, we had our first important lesson, which was when you're actually intentional about things, when you're willing to say no, and you act like you have nothing to lose, you become successful. Mm. And that was in that mindset that we were the first consulting company in the world to switch to Ruby on Rails because we had been using it. And we really enjoyed it and believed it would help us build the kind of products we wanted to build. And we made that decision not because we thought it would be a good business decision. We didn't know, but we made that from a a fulfillment and technical standpoint. And that was the first big decision that, that we made and we started saying no to projects that weren't that kind of projects, including doing test-driven development and those kinds of things. And so once we grew principles, that was when we became ThoughtBot. Interesting. And what was your original vision for the future that you wanted for ThoughtBot? To be honest, um, in that original company, there wasn't a lot of vision. It was, what are we gonna do tomorrow to get by. And we wrapped it in you know, what we thought sounded good, which was that full service IT consulting. And while that's the original vision, I know that it was never really going to be successful because it wasn't something that we actually believed in. It was trappings that we had put on what we needed to do. And so the vision at that turning point became that we believe that there will always be a better way to work that we can always be more fulfilled in our work and to find that and to not compromise and to build the kind of company that as designers and developers, we would want to work at. Because we saw our peers and we saw ourselves in our prior work get taken advantage of or to be, if not taken advantage of, put in positions where you're not doing your best work. And so that became the vision. It was not much more than creating something great. Mm, yeah. And um, in terms of your personal story, how did that input into that vision? You know, <laughs> that experience at that, that first startup was a really valuable learning. When I say it was a toxic environment, I mean that it was commonplace to, instead of having discussion about things, to yell, to berate. It was commonplace to work 80 plus hours a week. The boss would joke He'd come into my office and he'd joke and say, ah, oh, working a half day today, right? 
meaning uh, only 12 hours because that's half the day. So it was a really toxic environment. And that experience immediately demonstrated to us as we were starting out everything that we didn't want to be as a company. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think as difficult as that was, I don't think ThoughtBot would exist today. Mm. You've talked about Ruby on Rails being the first company in the world to take that on because you believed in it from a quality point of view. From an external point of view, can you remember what the original pain was that you wanted to solve? So we had been using Rails. The first version of Rails I used was like 0.15 or something like that. It was really early on. We had been doing some projects in it. But not everything was Ruby on Rails. And so after a few months of working with Rails, went back to something I had written in a different framework. And I sat down at my desk and started moving code around to match how Rails was doing things. This was in Perl. And started rewriting the app. And I was like, this is <laughs> ridiculous. So I, I got up from my desk and went into the next room where John was. He was our CTO at the time and, one, and my co-founder and said, would it be crazy if we just used Rails all the time? And he's like, yes, it would be. But we had nothing to lose. And life was too short to be unhappy in our work. And even in that micro of wanting to work in the code the way that I had seen that it could be better and not wanting to waste my client's time and money changing an existing system, I knew that we had to make an effort to bring those clients along and show them a better way and find a new way of working. Terrific. And can you give a brief overview in the time we've got of ThoughtBot's journey until now? That'd be really interesting to hear. Yeah, so because our vision was to be fulfilled in our work and to be the kind of company that designers and developers ourselves want to work at, we had this idea that we would never be more than 20 people. So from 2005 to 2012, we held ourselves to just 19 people in Boston. And we did that because we didn't know how to be the kind of company we wanted to be and be any bigger. I don't have a lot of examples of larger organizations that really, truly don't compromise on their principles. And we were afraid of failing. So in 2012, we had a couple of uh, really great team members leave. And the only reason why I knew the conversation was coming when they came to me and they said, I love ThoughtBot. It's the best place I've ever worked. And I knew a but was coming, mm. <laughs> but I need to move. And at the time, that meant that you had to leave ThoughtBot. And that was one of the first triggers that caused a later, uh, about a month later, a developer in Boston stand up and say, if we truly believe we have a better kind of company and a better place to work, why are we not trying to bring that to more people? And I realized that I was doing, I was not acting like we had nothing to lose. I was letting that fear of what we might fail at and what we might become cause us to do exactly what I coach everyone else not to do, which is preserve the status quo and not try to be better. And so it was, that was the trigger that in 2012, we started opening other offices and we tried to find a way to do it where each local studio is exactly like ThoughtBot has always been, a small team of really experienced people who turn their attention to projects locally and work on them directly with customers. And so 
we did that. And from 2012 to 2017, we grew to 90 people across the seven cities that we're in. And we've worked with 700 plus product companies at this point at, on a yearly basis. We build and work on about 200 products as a company. And so we are having both the impact that triggered us along that journey for ourselves and creating the kind of place that we all want to work at and for our customers and sharing that with as many people as possible. And what would you say that you've learned about business as opposed to programming, app development, etc., with that journey? So uh, I don't have any formal business training. And I think overall that has many times been very, very positive because I don't know what you shouldn't be able to do. But the flip side of that is also true, <laughs> that I've mostly learned by making mistakes. And as a team, I think we've mostly learned by making mistakes. And I think mistakes are good. It's a cliche, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think most of our the real learnings have come from mistakes in business. And the latest one was, or the, maybe the biggest one, not the latest, was that in 2014, we expanded to Denver, and we had previously expanded to Stockholm, and we were expanding to other cities as well. And I didn't understand what was happening at the time, but what happened was uh, we had a bunch of early customers in those cities, the people who were ThoughtBot fans and that kind of thing, but we didn't build a sustainable client base in those cities. So after a few years, uh, even just after a year, the clients went away. And so that, it took me a while to understand what actually happened there. And now, now I understand, and it took actually interviews I've done on this podcast to figure it out. Essentially, it's a lesson from crossing the chasm by Jeffrey Moore, who was a guest on the podcast earlier where we had early adopters and early adopters are excited to work with us and are just happy to get the excellent work that we do. And they know us and they're our fans. This happens with a new product. It's the first people to buy your product. But then as you change from early adopters to the early majority to the majority, the product that you need to offer and the way that you reach those customers and the way that you talk to them is necessarily very different. They want different things. They need to answer to a boss sometimes. And um, we hadn't built that sustainable reach to those customers. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of the hardest things we've ever had to do, but we, we couldn't sustain those offices anymore. And we had to, we had to close those studios. So I've learned a lot about how, and this is true, this crossing the chasm is true for all kinds of products, including consulting. So it's an important lesson that I didn't understand before and learned the hard way. And now we're in, in the process of, of really figuring out how to fix that going forward for ThoughtBot and ultimately for our customers as well. That is a really important lesson that I don't think we truly understood before particularly because we work with so many companies, big and small, building the first version of a product, the MVP, the initial version, and working on scaling it up from there. And to learn this lesson for ourselves, I think we can bring that to bear for our customers now as well. Yeah, very interesting. And leads nicely on to this question that companies are always a mix of commercial and cultural aspects. So by that, I mean, 
commercial, I'm talking about things like facts and figures, profit and loss, balance sheet type stuff. And on the cultural side, by that I mean things like purpose and values and so on, the softer stuff. So do you have a view of the relative importance of those two aspects? This is another lesson that I've learned. So at ThoughtBot, we have, and if you can read it in the playbook, we even list the vendors that we use in the US and in the UK. We outsource almost all accounting and bookkeeping functions and a lot of operational stuff as well. And we really believed, um, and still do to a certain extent, that we should focus our business on the thing that is unique value to us. And that is our design and development mm. expertise. But I learned that that's not everything. That's not everything that you need in order to build a successful, strong organization where everyone in it feels like they are working towards the overall purpose. And so I used to say things like, this company is for designers and developers and ignore the non-designer, non-developer that was sitting in the room as well. And that's a really um, a big mistake that I made in the past in terms of creating a kind of company that everyone is fulfilled by. So how has that affected your hiring decisions? We've brought more people in, in non-design, non-development roles when we believe that we will be a better organization by having that in-house. And it's also caused us to be intentional about the times where we don't um, because we believe it will affect culture. So for example, we don't have salespeople at ThoughtBot. All the designers and developers talk directly to clients. And I believe that that's important. As a company, we believe that it's important to have the agency over the work that we do and the relationships with our customers. So that's one where we've reevaluated our stance and say, is this important to who we are? Or is it just something we've been telling ourselves or um, that we would be a better company if we had it. And so far, and I'm sure in six months or a year, we'll reevaluate it again as we do every decision. Mm. But um, that one that we've stuck to for 14 years. Okay. And how do you remunerate your people sharing in success and so on? What's your, been your views and policies towards that? That's uh, really interesting. I am a very simple person when it comes to things like that. Um, in part because I'm intrinsically motivated and I think a lot of the people at ThoughtBot are. So primarily it comes down to having the good kinds of work and then being paid very fairly for it in a sustainable way. We're not some VC-backed company that can afford to be unprofitable. And so it's a culture of no one's getting ahead of anyone else at the company. We're all moving forward together. And so when we do something like successfully sell one of our products, or we have a normal annual salary increase and those kinds of things that happen at companies, but we also share in the success. So when we have a profitable quarter, we have profit sharing. And when we sell a product or, or have a particularly good event, then we reward the founding team with bonuses and that, that kind of thing. Okay. Am I right in saying that today you've got seven offices in two countries, so there are six in the US, one in the UK? That's right. And what specific challenges are there with that structure? There's the obvious one of time zones. So, you know, there's technically no overlap in business hours between London and San Francisco. And we practice sustainable pace. So asking someone to work late or 
come in early is a real big ask. It's not something that can happen sustainably over the long term. So that's the first challenge is working across time zones. And the way that we've addressed that is by having local teams working with local clients. And we really believe in self-management and the fact that but when we instill a core set of values across ThoughtBot, that as long as people are living to those values, the individual decisions that they make to those values will be the right ones. And so in London here, we communicate, we do common things together across the rest of the company, but it's really centered around that local team doing local work. And that's the way that we've organized things overall. And then as a team, all the people who are talking to potential customers, we do a daily stand-up, we do weekly retrospectives, and we help each other, both asynchronously in online tools. And that's probably the biggest way that, as a company, we all interact. So our entire company handbook and the playbook, which communicates what we believe and how we work, are all in GitHub. It's all open source within the company, and everyone has access to it. So. Um, that's not just to write in some, oh, I think this would be good. We also use the same tools and techniques we use on building our products on our most important product, which is the company itself. So we use GitHub issues. If someone sees something that is an issue with Opbot or could be better, they would create a GitHub issue for that and track it just like a defect in one of our products. And that's the same true for if the UK, for example, were to pass some regulations that were to change how it means to do business in the UK. That's a bug, as in the same way as Apple releasing a new version of iOS that breaks one of our apps. It needs to be logged as a bug and fixed in a transparent way. So that transparent way of working that everyone can have access to is the sort of the underlying foundation to collaboration at ThoughtPot across the studios. I want to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor for this episode, Storyblocks. So one of the first websites that I ever built was yarn.com. And the funny thing is, this was probably back in 1995. But if you go there today, it still pretty much looks like what I designed back in 1995. But even back in 1995, getting quality stock images of the yarn that I needed was harder and more expensive than I imagined. I wish that I had Storyblocks then. Uh, what Storyblocks is, is you pay one monthly fee and then you get access to the whole member library, 400,000 images, 150,000 videos, 100,000 audio clips, and I'm sure that they're adding new stuff all the time. Everything's royalty free, so you can use it for commercial and personal projects. So go to storyblocks.com robots to get all the stock images, video, and audio you can imagine for just $149 a month. That's Storyblocks, S-T-O-R-Y-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash robots to download anything from thousands of images, videos, and tracks and unlock discounts on millions more. Thank you to Storyblocks for sponsoring today's podcast. And now back to the show. Looking back a little bit now, a little bit of reflection, what would you say has been the most satisfying moment of ThoughtBot's journey? This is a small one, but... It sticks out in my mind as something that really resonated with me at the time and, and stuck with me. So when we opened New York City, it was the first location that we hired someone who had never worked with ThoughtBot before. Most offices have started by someone moving to a new city. 
And New York became our fastest growing office because everything is just sort of bigger and off the charts in New York City. And so about two weeks after a brand new hire started, we needed him to do another, an interview for a new developer. And he uh, rejected the person after the first interview and said, this person's not a fit for ThoughtBot. And that person was new to the company at a place where no one had ever worked at the company before. And that's when I realized how strong an organization through the playbook and having that tool, he had already read what ThoughtBot was and understood our values. And he had opted in to being part of the group. And he saw himself as a protector of making sure that we were that going forward. And so that sticks out in my mind as a really proud achievement. Terrific. And on the other hand, what would you say has been the most disappointing moment of ThoughtBot's journey? When we had to close those studios, that was really difficult for everybody involved. Um, we tried to do it as transparently and humanely as possible, but it was, it's not about me at that point, but at that point, you know, I had to do the first call with someone at 11 p.m. their time, uh, my time, so it was morning their time, and then did all those calls across Stockholm and Denver, Portland and Tokyo. That was difficult on me, but that pales in comparison to how difficult it was for the people who were in the studios that were being shut down. Mm -hmm. So that was the most difficult thing. And it was very damaging to ThoughtBot because it was the first time that we had ever done anything like that before. In a lot of ways, we're still recovering from that as an organization. Uh, it sounds bad. You know, it's a bad story to relate. It doesn't make us sound like great company. But uh, I just be, as always, being as truthful as well. That was the hardest thing that we've had to do as an organization. What comes through to me very clearly, though, is that not everybody would take so much care over it and so much sensitivity to the way of doing it properly and correctly. So that's really to ThoughtBot's credit. I thought it was important that I talk individually, one-on-one -on -one with every single person. And so making that happen was really important to me. And I couldn't be there in person. So it's the least out of, out of respect for the individual, it's the least I could do. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at your own job, your own career path in, in ThoughtBot, what is the part of the job you most enjoy? I really enjoy <laughs> two things. You said most enjoy. Yes. I can't answer with two things. <laughs> this is a struggle for me lately. I really enjoy designing and building applications. And I work in Boston with a local startup and have been working with them for six months now. We did the initial MVP and, and growing their business. I really, really enjoy that. It's becoming increasingly clear that that's almost more of a selfish thing for me to do, is not necessarily the thing that is most valuable to ThoughtBot for me to do. And that is okay because I actually really, really enjoy working with all of the different folks at ThoughtBot and helping to build and preserve what ThoughtBot is. And I'll never stop doing design and development because that is what ThoughtBot is. And I truly believe that it's important that 
I stay involved in that so that we can be the authentic kind of company that we are. But that doesn't mean that that's, I should be spending a significant portion of my time and energy focused on that as opposed to making sure that ThoughtBot is the best company it can be and the individual designers and developers at ThoughtBot are as fulfilled in their work as we can be. Mm. And uh, which part of your job do you least enjoy? It's really, again, I, I don't like to talk, oh, woe is me, right? No, I have a pretty good life and career. But it's, it's hard having the kind of organization that we have where everyone is working to the best of their ability to be the best that they can and to have the impetus to always be changing, always be improving, but to be the one who's ultimately held accountable for everything that happens at the company in terms of what kind of place we are and, and what we're doing as a company and how we're working with everything, it can be challenging. And that also means we have, I mentioned the GitHub issues, at any point, anyone can create a pretty exciting issue <laughs> that can divert the attention of the entire company mm. towards this new problem. Mm. And I understand everyone is trying to do their best work and we have to pay attention, balance the needs of the work we're doing versus that new issue that's obviously very important, but we need to work on it. It's just like any open source product or product. If a customer submits a bug, you have to prioritize, you have to think about that urgency and prioritize it. And it can be challenging, especially across all the different studios and all the different time zones. And uh, what would you say, looking forward now, is ThoughtBot's biggest challenge in the future? So we don't grow, as I said in the beginning, we're not growing to like make more money. Mm -hmm. We're growing to bring ThoughtBot to as many people as possible. I get emails from designers and developers all over the world, probably about one a month. It says, I'm unfulfilled in my work. I'm working to this thing in a way that I know is not gonna be successful. But I live in X. When is ThoughtBot coming here? Mm. And I really wanna make that happen. But we have to do that in a way that's actually a sustainable business and doesn't overextend ourselves. And figuring out how to do that with the constraints that we put on ourselves in terms of not having salespeople, limiting business overhead, um, being focused on the design and development we do. That's a challenge. And so that is the biggest challenge we have is to figure out how to bring ThoughtBot to more people without breaking what ThoughtBot is in the process or putting the overall company at risk. And the other side of that coin, of course, is what would you say is the biggest opportunity for ThoughtBot? It's basically the flip side of that. If we can pull it off, then the way that we work locally with people and the fact that we're not revenue driven. We just care about being sustainable and having the kind of environment that people can do the kind of work that they love at. That means that we can be in a small city somewhere and being two or four people in that city is totally okay with us because it will be the two or four people that are best suited to work at ThoughtBot in that city and with local customers. And so there's a tremendous opportunity if we can figure it out to bring ThoughtBot all over the world and create the kind of place that clients and team members 
can work at and bring our better way of working to as many people as possible. That's a big challenge, but it's also a big opportunity. And in closing, if you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself at the start of the journey? Uh, I feel like this is a, it's like a good opportunity to end on a light note and a joke, but I don't have one. <laughs> Maybe that was it. <laughs> so I actually have a very serious answer to this because <laughs> I was just thinking about it the other day. And it's really easy to, especially when you have, I'll use the word rhetoric around what I've said today, the kind of company we want to be, the protecting who we are, to have a, a monoculture. And once you do that, once you go down that road of having a gender imbalance or a lack of diversity on your team, it's really, really hard to recover from that. And I didn't even see it at the time. I think a lot of us founders don't see it because you're just blind to it. And so if I could go back and tell myself to do some, something differently, it would be to build a more diverse team from the beginning mm. and to work actively to fix that problem all along. It really does hurt us now from the morale of the team to the way people look at us in the community. And I know we all have the best of intentions and to feel like we're, we're not doing the best. Everything we do at ThoughtBot is about being the best we can possibly be. Mm. And to have that problem really makes it feel like we're not doing that. Yeah. Thank you very much. We're going to go now on to the last section of this, which is audience participation. Okay, come on up. Don't be shy. Hello, Hi. I'm Gwyn Wolfie. Um, I found the, the emphasis on culture here was fascinating because it's clearly the core of the whole thing is what makes it work. But now that you're expanding out to other cities, how are you managing preventing the culture from diverging studio from studio and keeping it into a single sort of culture? So I think it's important to make a distinction between culture and values. And I'm comfortable with the culture being different in different places as long as it's built upon the foundation of the same values. Because not every city is the same. Not every team will be in the same part. So. It's also important to, I think people can get hung up on process as culture, whereas like stand up will be different. The way the team organizes will be different. The way that they relate to each other will be different based on whether they're in, they've worked with each other for five years or whether it's a new location and everyone's only worked with each other for three months. So I may be splitting hairs here, but values driven culture I expect that little things will be different, and I'm, I'm okay with that as long as everyone's making decisions based on the same values. Great, thank you for the question. Who's next? Hi, my name's Michael. Um, so it sounds a bit prosaic, but why ThoughtBot? And does it mean anything, or does it, is it a value in some way? Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, it's not a value. <laughs> <laughs> so the original founders and I worked with each other all throughout university, and we had this weird habit. We came from Java, and in, in Java, we did EJB, um, and there was this naming convention where if you had like customer objects, you would have customer manager. If you had order objects, you had have order manager. 
And for whatever reason, we never did that. We always put bot instead. So it was orders and order bot, customer and customer bot. And so when we were all sitting around coming up with names, we knew that we wanted thought. We liked thought, think. We had a terrible name suggestion of thought faucet. <laughs> <laughs> and someone said, well, thought bot, that's what we do. And uh, it stuck. And our first open source software ever was called InvoiceBot. Uh, which was what we wrote for sending invoices. And so that's the story of the name. <laughs> Who's next? Hi, John, Chris. Um, I'm going through an exercise at the moment of codifying our values for a company that's a year old. And um, my question really is, have your values changed over the 10 to 12 years that you've been at football? They have. I don't know that we created them. I think we discovered them as they changed. So, for example, we had a list for a long time and quality was on that list. But not so long ago, not as long ago, we added to the list continuous improvement. But that wasn't a new value. It was one that we eventually got to the point where we uncovered it and were able to articulate it. And so we added it to the list. We actually have a handbook issue on it now to realize the playbook and our internal handbook and our online purpose page at thoughtbot.com slash purpose had a similar list, but some of the language was different. So we recently created a pull request to bring all of those together and make sure that they were the same everywhere. And in doing so, realize maybe it's time to simplify some of these because there's 10 on the list or something like that. And Maybe it's time to see whether we can refactor some of these. Who's next? Oh, that we have a race. <laughs> Ask the uh, typical question that a girl would ask, but obviously you've been talking about uh, diversity within your organization. What sort of things are you trying to do to increase the diversity, the gender balance, and culture? So believe me, I'm not, an, I'm not an expert on this. I'm just trying to do the best I can and get help where I can. But what I've been trying to do is not just attack it on one level, but attack it on at every level. So like there is a pipeline problem in our hiring. So start working on that. There is the possibility that our hiring process is not inclusive so that once people get into it. So we do some subtle things in the interview process where when it comes that we make sure that whenever possible, everyone who's a candidate has always interacted with someone on a technical level that is the opposite gender. And we don't, we don't talk about that. I don't even think it's in the playbook. It's just something that we want to have happen. And in our hiring and promotion, making sure that that's an inclusive process. Two years ago, we did an equal pay audit to make sure that there was no gender disparity in pay at ThoughtBot. And we hired a law firm to do that, and they found that there was no inequality in pay between genders at ThoughtBot. So really just tackling it like, what is the next issue? What is the list of issues? Tackle it. And it's not about lowering the bar either. It's about making sure that the people who get in front of the bar reflect our community. So we're about 50-50 now in terms of 50% of the people we hire are people who are historically underrepresented in technology across the company. And um, we still have a long way to go, particularly in managerial positions. But like that's step number one, especially since we do so much promotion around culture and from within that 
making sure that we're hiring better is a really important part to fixing the manager level problem. And then whenever we can, again, it's not about uh, lowering the bar, but it's about making sure people get in front of the bar. So now all uh, positions that open up for promotion at ThoughtBot are also advertised externally so that we can be sure that we're, we have an opportunity to re recruit new people into the company at, at all levels, as opposed to only expecting us to promote from within. So lots of little things like that. Sam. Hello, I'm Andrew. Um, what do you see as uh, the biggest disruptors coming to your industry in the next, say, couple of years? So we love, as, as technologists, as designers and developers who are always trying to find the new thing, not from a business perspective, but so that we can be working in exciting things that we want to do. We're continually looking at and exploring new things. So we are doing at ThoughtBot, and I firmly believe that like it should be rooted in what we actually do and see rather than what we sort of, this would be nice kind of stuff. So we personally across the company are doing more connected device, internet of things kinds of projects, but in a real practical way. So we work in Boston with the T, the MBTA, the, they run the trains and all the buses and everything, working on new sensor systems that determine train timing and that kind of thing. That's work that at ThoughtBot we wouldn't historically have done, but we're pretty aggressively getting a lot of that kind of work and it's really enjoying and I think it's gonna continue. The other stemming from a mobile perspective I think we've done a few virtual reality and augmented reality projects for various clients and mostly from a marketing perspective where they're saying this would be cool we, we'd like to understand how we might be able to use it from a marketing or from a product perspective and th those those budgets are typically coming from marketing departments right now but it's clear to me and i i'm very open to the idea that i'm going to be wrong but the most tangible thing in front of us right now is augmented reality through not only the things like Apple AR kit and the stuff that's on Android, but just the open source libraries that we've used in the past to deliver work for clients. That's more tangible, more real. It's more here and coming than virtual reality is, for example. So those are the two big things that, that I see that not only I think it's important, but that there's increasing interest from the team to be doing that kind of work and increasing interest from clients to be exploring and doing those those kinds of projects. Great, thank you. I want to ask you to talk a bit about ThoughtBot's principle zero and using your best judgment and why that can be a challenge at times. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, principle zero is use your best judgment. And in 2012, when we when the team knew that we were going to grow, I stood up in front of the team, it was 19 people at the time, and said it's really important that as we grow, that we don't add unnecessary overhead bureaucracy because that's a path to mediocrity. So instead of our reaction to a problem or a question about how we do something being, well, what's the policy on that? The answer should be, what do you think? what use your best judgment. And that really resonated with the team and it's really served us really well because we all aligned on the common purpose 
can make good decisions on the on behalf of the company. But what I found over the years is that telling someone new, so one of our other principles is trust. We have a unanimous hiring process at ThoughtBot. Everyone that you talk to needs to give you a yes in order for you to be hired. So that and our, our very high bar for quality mean that people here at ThoughtBot, you can assume the best intentions of them. So based on that foundation of trust, based on they, someone has the best intentions, I found that answering someone's question, especially if they're new at the company or if they're unsure of something, we have to assume that they know principle zero, that they have looked for the answer. And so when someone says, what do we do in this scenario? They're not saying, you know, what's the policy? <laughs> they really have searched and they don't, they don't know. They're asking for advice or they're new to the company and they're unfamiliar with such a working environment or they are unfamiliar with our search engine that might allow them to find the answer. So simply just responding to that person with use your best judgment is completely unhelpful. That's <laughs> like, okay, what does that mean? Uh, I guess you're telling me I'm doing something wrong. And so we need to do a better job as a company of supporting people when they come forward with a question and assuming that they have searched and they're legitimately asking for advice about how to apply their judgment to the problem. And that's as simple as instead of just responding blanket, use your best judgment, being more helpful and saying, well, there's no policy on that, <laughs> which means that uh, we've determined that you can use your best judgment. Even just the simple slight things, instead of just saying, use your best judgment, makes it be much more understood about what the goals for that principle zero are. And um, it's important that you don't lose the why in your values. And I think a little bit we've lost the why in user best judgment. Like, why do we do that? And so it's a really, when someone asks a question, it's a really important opportunity to educate them about why we do what we do instead of just responding user best judgment. Yeah, thank you. I think that uh, concludes this part of the evening. So please put your hands together and give Chad a really warm thank you for such a great interview. Thank you. Okay, one last thing before we go. For the second year in a row now, we're doing a ThoughtBot podcast and swag bundle where you can get a ThoughtBot mug, limited edition socks, a Never Before produced giant robots smashing another giant robots t-shirt, along with a bike shed t-shirt and a ThoughtBot t-shirt. And if you want just those things individually, accept the socks because they're limited edition. You can also go to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts and order the bundle or each shirt individually. Everything we do is produced and shipped by social imprints who provide career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So not only can you support the show, but you can support a good cause as well. Thanks very much. You can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 256. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced by Lori Young and edited by Tom Obarski. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.